recap. Uh, what did we talk about yesterday? Well, first, what is this class about? Yes, God's pursuit of us, right? Um, and yesterday I mentioned that God's pursuit is is what? Yes, that's true. I mentioned something else too. Yes, redemptive. Yes, that God's pursuit is redemptive. And so we're, throughout the week, we're building upon these things, right? So yesterday, yesterday we talked about how God's pursuit is redemptive. And what book of the Bible were we in? Genesis uh, chapter 3, right? We looked at the fall. Um, and today we're going to be in the Old Testament as well in the book of Jonah. Um, the book of Jonah is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, it was the first book when I like got to college my, in my first like biblical studies class. like We did an inductive Bible study on Jonah. And so it's a really sweet and rich book. Um, but what do we know about Jonah, just off the top of your head, like what do you know about Jonah? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the the big right. Like Jonah was swallowed up by by the great fish, right? Um, maybe you've participated in a VBS where it was the Jonah theme, right? Um, yeah, so Jonah was a prophet, and we know that he got swallowed up by a fish. Um, and there's so much to this story. Uh, I would encourage you, if, if you haven't read it in a long time, or if you've never read this story before all the way through, um, it's only four chapters, so I'd encourage you to read it. It's, it's yeah, it's fabulous. Um, so Jonah, this is a story about a rebellious prophet who runs away from God, but it's also a story about the mercy of God that is shown to Jonah and to the city of Nineveh. Um, just to kind of uh, preface this, um, so a, a lot of a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today comes comes from Tim Keller's book. The Prodigal Prophet, it's a great book. I actually saw it um, in the Promised Land at the bookstore there. But it's it's a great book and then also other resources. But just want to clarify that. Um, not all my original thoughts. Um, so anyway, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 and we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses. So Jonah 1, 1 through 16. Is everyone there? Yeah? Okay. Here's the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, Lord 
Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew stronger. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great, this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more, uh, grew stronger against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I'm going to pray again. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Do I have any uh, Stranger Things fans in here? Okay. Have you all seen season three? Not yet. Okay, I, well, I, won't give, I won't give anything away for those who haven't seen season three yet. But every October, I've started this tradition where I will re-watch Stranger Things. But now that it's in the summertime, like the new season, I guess I have to do it with July. But so every October, I will re-watch it. And when I love a show, I'll re-watch it several times. Um, and, and there are things that if you watch a show several times or a movie, there are things that you pick up on that you didn't pick up on maybe the first time. Or there's a character that you love that you didn't really love the first time. Or you see things from a different perspective. But for those of you who aren't familiar with Stranger Things, it's a show about a fictional rural, rural town um, called Hawkins, Indiana. And um, the Hawkins National Laboratory is performing scientific research for the Department of the United States Department of Energy. And secretly, they're actually doing experiments 
um, into the paranormal and supernatural. And they've actually, what they've done is that they have created a portal to an alternate dimension called the Upside Down. And the influence of the Upside Down has rocked the town of Hawkins, Indiana. And the first season begins in November in 1983 when Will Byers is He's kidnapped by this creature from the upside down. And his mother Joyce Byers and the sheriff Jim Hopper, they uh, set out to find Will. And also his friends who I love, uh, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas, have their own efforts to try to find their friend Will. And something that struck me watching it the second time around was Joyce Byers' character. Joyce Byers is determined to find her son. And there's actually this scene where she's talking to her other son, who's older than Will, and, he sa- and she says, I'm not going to stop looking for him until I find him and bring him home. I'm going to bring him home. What you find is that her pursuit of her son is relentless because she loves him so much. And that's our first point, is that God's pursuit is relentless. So yesterday we talked about how we run away from God, and Jonah is an example of someone who is running from God. And so... What we see here is that the book of Jonah begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. And God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire and the Assyrians were Israel's enemies. They hated each other. And God tells Jonah, he says, I want you to preach doom to that city and I want them I want you to warn them because I have seen their evil and I want you to warn them of my judgment and it's a warning for the people of Nineveh but really what this warning does it's it's an open door for God to show his mercy and how does Jonah respond to the word of the Lord coming to him He's like, nope, goodbye. I am not going to my enemies. I know. I'm not going to do it. And so what he does is he disobeys God and he runs away from God. He runs from the presence of the Lord. And so what Jonah does is he goes to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was like at the end of the world. It was like as far away as he could possibly go. And so he, he, gets, he gets to Joppa and he, he pays his way onto this boat and he sets sail to go to Tarshish to get away from God. What we find here is that Jonah chooses to go his own way because he thinks he knows better than God. And he thinks God doesn't know what he's doing. 
And so what Jonah, what we learn here is that Jonah is about to learn some really hard lessons. And these hard lessons may be hard lessons that we need to learn as well. And what we see in this very first chapter is that God is pursuing Jonah to bring him back. And God does this by throwing a storm that is aimed right at the boat that Jonah's in. And God has good aim, right? Like it's aimed right at it. And Jonah is now facing the consequences of running away from God. And so, what are the hard lessons we learn? The first hard lesson is that sin always has consequences. Now, we've all lived long enough to know that sometimes our sin, sometimes the consequences aren't always immediate, right? Like, sometimes we... we, commit sin and sometimes we don't always feel the consequences right away but we can be assured that the consequences will always come Tim Keller said that he he has this really helpful illustration of this that I think will help us out but he said sin is like radioactive matter instead of like a bullet so radioactive matter it doesn't tear into your skin like a bullet does right When you come in contact with radioactive matter, you actually don't feel a thing, right? When you come in contact with it, you don't even feel a thing. But what's happening is that in your your insides are decaying. You see, that's what sin is like. Sin on the inside, it's decaying and it's destructive and it always leads to a dead end. The wages of sin is death, right? And so Tim Keller even goes even further and he says, practically this is what that means. He says, initially gossiping about somebody and storing up resentful thoughts about somebody feels good sometimes, right? Like, it can feel good sometimes. But he said, eventually what begins to happen is you end up in a prison of bitterness. Sin always has consequences. Second thing, Jonah is not the only one in this scene right here. Who else? Who else is? Who else was mentioned? The sailors, right? There are sailors who are there with Jonah, and these dudes are professionals. This, like, this is what they do. This is their job, right? They sail. And so they would have experienced storms before, but they had never experienced a storm quite like this. And so what we see them doing is that they start praying to their gods. They're like, okay, this is, this is something supernatural, right? So let's, let's start praying to our gods. And so they start doing that. And then the other thing they do is they take the cargo that's in the boat and they start throwing it overboard to lighten the load on the boat. And what we find here is that they are humanly, humanly, I can't speak, humanly, is that a word? Yeah, that's a word. Uh, Trying by their own efforts to try to save themselves. But what we find is that their efforts fail and they start running to their gods. When storms come in our lives, when things happen in our lives, 
Who do we run to? Where do we run to? Do we run to God? Or do we run to our idols? Do we run to the things that we think we can control? Like these sailors ran to the things they thought they could control. But here's the thing. When you, when you run to the things you think you can control, what begins to happen is that the things we think we can control actually end up controlling us. Third thing. Where is Jonah in all of this? The dude is asleep. All of this is going on. There's waves crashing like all around the boat, threatening to destroy the boat. Like if, if I was on a boat and it was in a storm, I would not be sleeping. I couldn't sleep because, I mean, it's rocking back and forth. But Jonah is not like, he's not lightly sleeping. He is in a like deep sleep. And the captain of the boat has to come and wake Jonah up. And Jonah is oblivious to what's going on. And the captain wakes him up and basically he's like, Dude, what are you doing? Like, why you pray to your God? The pagan sailors had to tell Jonah to pray to their God. And Jonah is awake physically, but spiritually, he's asleep. He is sleeping on who God, like, he's sleeping on the truth. He, he is asleep to, to who God is. And what we find is that the sailors are trying everything to find a reason for the storm. And the sailors cast lots. And the lot falls on Jonah, right? Jonah's caught. Jonah can't run and he can't hide One, because he's on a boat and there's nowhere to go. But like the dude is caught. And once they realize that Jonah is the reason for the storm, they corner him and they start questioning him. It's like an interrogation. And they start questioning him. Where do you come from? Who are you? Why is this happening? Like all these different questions. Which leads to the fourth thing. These questions expose the state of Jonah's heart. It's revealed by these questions that Jonah, he's self-righteous. Jonah's also a racist too. And he's arrogant. But he's self-righteous. He thinks he's better than other people. And here's the thing. This, um, I don't know who this quote is by, but it's a quote from someone else. But they said, running away from God doesn't always mean running to immorality, running to bad things. But sometimes running away from God can mean running to, your, running to self-righteousness. And that's what Jonah does. He runs to his self-righteousness. He thinks he's better than everybody else. You see, Jonah needed to come face to face with his sin. And to see sin for what it really is. I've heard it said that facing our sin is the only way back. Because that's where healing and restoration are in. In coming back to the Lord. In coming back to God. You see, God was showing Jonah that he cannot make it on his own. Is God showing you the same thing today? You can't make it on your own. 
Um, so I mentioned yesterday I have seven brothers and two sisters. I'm the youngest in the family. Um, and so, like, a lot of my brothers are older. And not everyone in my family are Christians. Not, not everyone loves the Lord. Um, and so my one brother, um, he... I guess you could say he's he's troubled in a lot of ways. And about two years ago, I got a phone call from him with Facebook. I didn't even know you could call people on Facebook. Do you all know that? Like, well, that was two years ago. But you can call people on Facebook. I was like, Facebook? Cool. He's... Someone's calling me on Facebook. But anyway, so he called me on Facebook. I'm at the office at the church. And I hadn't heard from him in like two years. And usually when he calls for some, about something, he's like, he wants money. Okay? So, and I'm like, well, I know he's not calling me for money. I got like five bucks, right? Like, he, there's no way he's calling me for money. So anyways, I pick up the phone. And I'm like, hey, what's up? there's all this noise in the background and it sounds like trucks racing past him and I can barely hear him and I'm like where are you and he said I'm on I-20 and I was like okay well are you in the car like uh, what's happening and he said no I'm walking on I-20 in Louisiana somewhere I was like anyone from Louisiana in here Cool, perfect. Alright, um, not that I have anything against Louisiana, but like, so I was like, okay, Louisiana, I said, do you know where you are? He's like, no, I have no clue where I am. And so I was, I was like, well, what happened? And his, his wife, they got in a fight, and she basically said, you're walking the rest of the way. So uh, he had been walking for several hours. And so I said, okay, let me get in my car and I will just drive. So I drive and he calls me about 30 minutes later and he says, okay, I know where I am. I'm at this exit. So about two hours later, I get to the exit. I I find him and he has nothing with him. He gets in my car. He, I mean, he smells because he's been walking for like three hours and he's crying, he's hysterical. And the whole way we were driving back to Jackson, like two, two and a half hours. And he's just crying the whole time. And here I was terrified because I didn't know really what to do. And I was in contact with my parents. And I was face to face with a 30-something-year-old man. Also, I don't know any of the ages of my... Well, some some siblings, I know their ages, but not all of them. But he's 30-something. And here was a man who was coming to the end of himself. A man who realized that he can't make it on his own. He was at the bottom of his the bottom of the bottom and so I called my dad and I said okay well what are we to do and he said put your brother on the phone and I, I had him on speaker and my dad just says come home come back and come home And so we get him a bus ticket and he goes to South Florida because that's where my parents are, near Miami. 
and he goes home. See, God is doing that with Jonah. He's saying, come back. Come home. Stop running. Come back. And that's what the storm reveals. The second thing. God's pursuit is sacrificial. God's pursuit is sacrificial. If you look at verses 12 through 15, what we find is that the sailors have done everything they know to do humanly possible, right? They've prayed to their own gods. They've, you know, have thrown the cargo overboard. They've done everything. And their efforts have, fa- have failed. And they're facing death, right? And the storm is getting even stronger. And if you look at these verses, what does Jonah tell them to do? In verses 12 through, I think 12 through 15. Wait, what? I heard it. Yeah, yeah, they're like, Jonah says, okay, I know what you have to do. You have to throw me into the sea. And then the storm will stop. And if, if you picked up on it, the sailors actually at first don't do what Jonah tells them to do. <laughs> they actually instead row harder, because there are no motors then, they row harder to the dry land to try to get to the dry land. But what actually begins to happen is that the storm even it gets intense, like more intense than it already was. And they realize that they can't make it to the dry land, and so they're like, okay, let's throw them overboard. So they throw Jonah overboard, and what happens? It's the sea is like still, right? It's like still. Have you all um, like at the lake? Um, can't not with the ocean, but at the lake, like seen it where it's like glass and so smooth. And upstate New York, my. Um, um, my parents, there's like a lake house there. And um, I love the mornings because the lake is like glass. That's what it's like. It's, it's still, it's like glass. And the sailors cry out to the Lord. Whenever you see, um, this is a side note, but whenever you see the Lord all capitalized like that in the Bible, that's referring to Yahweh, God's covenant personal name. And so they cry out to Yahweh, worshiping in awe of God's goodness. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the better Jonah. That Jesus is the true Jonah. Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. Remember yesterday I talked about how we're covered. If, if, if you're a Christian, you're covered in the robe of righteousness. You see, we become the righteousness of God. And here's the thing, is that you and I, we deserve to be thrown into God's judgment, right? Into the storm of God's judgment because of our sin. But what Jesus does is He stands in our place. And he sacrifices himself. Jesus is thrown into the storm of God's judgment. 
to save us. Listen to what Tim Keller says. This is a beautiful quote by him. But he says, Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us. The storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm wasn't calmed, not until it swept Jesus away. If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into the ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? And if you know that he did not abandon you in the ultimate storm on the cross, what makes you think that he would abandon you in much smaller storms you're experiencing right now in your life? And someday, of course, Jesus will return and still all storms for eternity. And if you let that sink in to the very center of your being, you will know that Jesus loves you. You will know that He cares. My friends, I hope you see that God knows what He's doing. Always. I hope that we will walk out of this room seeing that God knows what He is doing. That God knows what is best for us. And He has our best interest in mind. Always. And when we forget that, which we will forget it, right? We're forgetful people. We easily forget things. When we forget that, that we would be reminded to look to Jesus. To look at the cross and see what God has done to show His love for us. And to save us. Um, I, I, I'm going to mention Harry Potter. But um, in the first Harry Potter book, um, Lord Voldemort, uh, he can't touch Harry, right, without getting burned. And Dumbledore later on explains to Harry why that is. And he says, your mother died to save you. Love as powerful as that leaves its mark on you. To have been loved so deeply will give us protection forever. Jesus' sacrificial love is life-changing. It leaves its mark on you forever. So I'll end with this. God's goodness and loving kindness chases you down. It hunts you down. Maybe for some of us, it's time to wake up. Not just literally, because I'm sure a lot of you are like really tired. But spiritually, for some of us, we need to wake up. Maybe for some of us, God is saying, come. Come back home. Come back to me. Can't you see I've been pursuing you all the days of your life? Because I love you. That's the beautiful truth. And I, it's my prayer that by God's Spirit that that truth would be applied to our own hearts. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. 
God, you meet us where we are. I know for some people in this room, they, they're going through difficult things whether it's depression or anxiety or things back at home that, that are, that's just constantly on their mind, whatever that is. But there are some of us in here who are in the storms of life and we're having a hard time trying to figure out what to do. But Lord, it's my prayer that, that um, we would be reminded that you meet us right there that you do not abandon us, that you have promised that you will be with us and you will not forsake us. That's your promise to us. Lord, I thank you for everyone who is in this room. You have created them, you love them, and you are pursuing them. In Jesus' name, amen.